ever feel busy? I mean, ever feel too busy? Ever find yourself thinking about, man, if only I had better work-life balance? I don't know if you caught last episode or not, but Alan Buttery was on Imperfect Action. And Alan, now Alan's a busy guy. He is a musician, a black belt. He is a runner. In fact, he's qualified for the Boston Marathon, which is a very impressive achievement. And he's also a financial executive. So he's got this day job. And on top of keeping up with family and just regular life, he addresses the question of work-life balance. In fact, he approaches it from the idea that work-life balance is a myth and has a different way of thinking about approaching your life and approaching your career, even if you aren't a musician, a black belt, a Boston qualifying marathoner, or a financial executive. Uh, he's got some very practical lessons that I think we can all take from it. And so I encourage you to listen to the last episode. Now, this episode, very excited about Gareth Jones. Gareth got his start in, well, he worked his way up through kind of the, the HR space, had different HR jobs, and left that and has since been involved in tech startups. So he, he kind of branched off and started doing something different and very much more entrepreneurial. And in fact, the episode was a little tough to schedule because every time we thought we had a date, he was off to China to try and get venture capital. And so uh, we're glad it came together. And in fact, for this episode, I encourage you to listen. Uh, Gareth describes himself as a people and technology nut, and he really gets into discussing tech startups, uh, the idea of when to pivot and when to persist, and really the importance of attracting not just any money, but attracting the right money to the startup. Jump on in and listen. Hey, everybody. This is Imperfect Action with Brock Edwards, and today's guest is Gareth Jones. And Gareth, it's just a tradition on this show where... I asked the guests to introduce themselves, so tell us a little about who you are and what you do. Uh, hey, Brock. Uh, okay, so who am I? So I'm Gareth Jones. I um, uh, live in Amersham. I'm 53 and a father of two rapidly growing up kids. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess I'm uh, – and that's my personal life. My professional life, I'm, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool uh, people and technology uh, nut, I think he used to describe myself as. Um, so I've been around the HR and HR and tech recruitment markets for a long time. So that's where I spend most of my time uh, professionally. And right now, I'm the CEO of a company called Head Start. All right. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, so people in technology nut, love that description. But I mean, going to your high school counselors saying, you know what, I want a career in uh, being a people in technology nut, you know, that 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 doesn't really exist as a career. How do how do you how do you get there? What does that look like? That is the million dollar question. Um, you know what, Brock? I, I was at a parents' evening with my son last night, who's fifteen, and um, at school. And you know, bottom line is, he hasn't got a clue what he wants to do, and he can't find anything interesting in what faced him at school. And you know, of course, we're giving him the pep talk, and we're you know, encouraging him to move on and to apply himself and to do everything else. But, you know, I look at him and I kind of feel a bit hypocritical because, you know, right back at that age, I felt exactly the same. I hadn't a clue. You know, I go in to see the school career counsellor and they said, what do you want to do? I'm not really sure. Um, and, you know, I looked at everything and I found it really difficult when I was young, actually, to apply myself academically. So I struggled um, with just an, the attention. I just wasn't driven. I just kind of thought, is this really it? Um so finding something <clears throat> that um, 
that was going to take me and where my career was going to go. I hadn't a clue and I couldn't get inspired by anything. I thought about joining the Merchant Navy. I thought I'd just leave school and end up maybe on a building site. I really didn't know. So I, all I did was I set a mission just to stay in, stay in uh, education um, as long as I could. And so I kind of scraped my way through A-levels um, and eventually scraped my way into doing a sort of a further uh, qualification. And eventually I did a postgrad. But the theme that kind of took me through there, well, I started to get interested in HR um, in because those modules started to come through in um in the, in the stuff that I was doing. Had no interest in the accountancy stuff or any of the other stuff, but running the business stuff was, was interesting because I've always worked. <clears throat> so as a kid, I've always enjoyed working. So I was working, you know, I was picking strawberries for money when I was probably eight. You know, I was working in pubs when I was 12 because you were allowed to do that, that way you could get away with it then. You know, I've always had jobs. I've always done well when I've worked. So I kind of, it kind of started, the world of work started to make more sense, I guess, when I was uh, in my education, but I hadn't got a clue. Um, when I came out, I'd kind of firmed up this feeling that HR sounds good to me. So I'm very, very interested in people, um, very interested in human behavior and why people do things um, and the world of work. So I jumped into HR and that's how I got into the original, uh, the original career. Um, the story between that, which started beautifully and perfectly and amazingly, considering I thought I'd end up on a building site way back then, I ended up in a corporate HR job um, for 10 years, uh, two different big companies. And I, I, I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed it. Um, but I just hated the way we treated people. I thought we were paying lip service. <clears throat> I stepped out of that career thinking I need to go and get some broader experience. And that's when the whole thing went up in the air. Um, and my career just went out the window. I just went into different things and that's how I got stuck in, sucked into technology. So I am here right now um, running this startup um, and doing all the other things that I do by accident. I stepped off the cliff and I've ended up here Um and it's really been a case of just following my gut and instinct and opportunity and taking risks, which is something that it's taken me 30 years to work out that I'm actually quite a risk taker. So it's not an easy journey and not, not planned at all. Um, it was very experimental. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because we never want to give the advice to our kids, you know, just wander around for a couple of decades. You'll get it sorted out. <laughs> And, so true, and I, feel, I feel like that's what all the rest of us have done. Yeah. At least most of the people I know who are uh, successful and fulfilled in, in what they're doing, it has like nothing to do with what they thought they wanted to do when they were in school. Or And there's probably been a few weird leaps in between wherever they started and where they are now. And that's that's just hard advice to give. Uh, you know, my daughter's kind of kind of in the same place right now, just looking at college and, and starting that. So, uh, I mean, a couple of questions that, that kind of came out of that for, for me. You know, one of the things that before we hit record here and, um, you know, and, and basically I just had to get hit record because we we're having such a great conversation. It was just, you know, we talked about the idea of there's got to be a better way to to do business um and, and you had mentioned ricardo similar yeah and, and his book and you know that 
just can you give just a short synopsis of that book and the impact that it had on you? Yeah, sure. So um, I read that I picked that book up, I think, in 1994, which was five years into my HR career, I think. Yeah, roughly. Um, and I was traveling. I was on my way. You know, I was on, on a plane, various places I was going. I was traveling quite a lot, picked up in the airport. And it's the story of a guy in Brazil. He's 21. Um, he's just, I think, graduated. Um, I think he may have gone to Harvard, but he's come come to um, he's come back from I think being at Harvard. His dad and and his dad, his father was a uh, running a, an industrial company in Brazil that made big industrial components, um, and that was right up my street because my my first job was in an industrial manufacturing business. Anyway, he comes back from 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 college, and he does a does an internship in the company for like. I think six months. And the book is the story of him coming back, coming into the business, kind of being left a bit dumbfounded by what he finds. And then him basically experimenting with every form of management and leadership that you could imagine over a number of years, and then landing on the one that he thought was the best. So he went from, he tried everything from, you know, completely hierarchical, rules-driven, process procedure-driven business where every box was ticked and everything um, was managed and appropriate as you would expect it, um, especially in an environment like a heavy manufacturing industry in a, in a in an area like Brazil, straight to right across the spectrum to, do you know what, guys, in the company, you just make it up yourselves. And he, he, it's a, it was almost like a research book, but it's the story of him kind of sitting there going, is this it? And then saying to his dad, who wanted him to take over the company, I'm not going to take over the company. I, this is just not me. It's not exciting enough. And what happens is his dad says, right, I'm going on holiday for three weeks. If you, you, you've said to me, you want to make changes, make those changes while I'm away. And we'll see when I get back, if you're still interested. So his dad goes on holiday. And while his dad's away, he fires, I think, eight out of the nine execs on the leadership team. And this is a 21-year-old guy. And then that's a story of him taking that business and then taking it through these different approaches. I was um, amazed by this book. And primarily because they land at this far side, that they, they physically try these different ways of working and they look at it and they research it and they talk to people. He talks to the people in the company and and so on but it's a long journey he nearly kills himself you know through stress and anxiety and that's when he kind of steps back and says there must be a better way and so it's this story and it ends up at this place where you know there are um everybody knows what their salary is everyone else's salary is they have um no procedures around things that you and i would take for granted in hr um when they're hiring people hire their own bosses um, so if you know you turn up for a job as a finance director and the finance assistant doesn't like you, you don't get the job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They've now, they've also moved and they they talk about complete flexibility of working. So you know no four day week or no nine till five. Uh, sorry, you know flexible hours morning and evening. It's basically his pre his premises, which was his second book. Um, if I am expected to write a report or attend a conference call on a Saturday afternoon, then I should be able to take my son to the cinema on a Wednesday morning. And so he's moved. It's fascinating, but it was just so outside of um, 
what was what corporate represented at the time to me that I was blown away. And I actually went to see the guy speak. I was so lucky he came to the UK and he did a conference. But again, it was the most hostile conference I've ever been to because it was full of chief execs and HR directors. And they just kept saying to him, it won't work here. It's unique to Brazil. And I knew in my heart that was bullshit. So I took to it. Um, and I've spent the last, you know, 25 years of my career trying to bring those principles to life and everything that I've done um, and be uh, and reject <laughs> the life of, you know, reject the things that, that, that he rejected and that don't make sense, like, you know, strong hierarchies and, <clears throat> you know, rules for no reason and stuff like that. You know, we're all adults, we're all great human beings. And he built a business on trust and treating people like adults. And I think fundamentally that's um, being open, being honest, being transparent and trusting people and giving them autonomy are the key things that come out in that book. And that's what I strive for in uh, in my career. And that's the environment I want to create. And that's that's what I think we need to move to. Yeah. And there's been uh, a lot of, <clears throat> actually a lot is um, not the right term. Uh, there have been a few <laughs> no notable uh, businesses since then that, that we've seen. In fact, a, a couple have been on this show. We had a uh, Rich Sheridan from Menlo Innovations and there's a company over in Serbia called Vega IT Sourcing that, that are, are really focused on doing things differently. Um, just spoke with a couple of guys from a company called Airship and, and really hitting on those principles that, that you're you're talking about there the 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 standard way of doing business doesn't work as well as something else could yeah. and they, they they've experimented figure out what that something else could be and have landed on some things that work for them and most of them really seem to boil down to kind of what what you were saying there the, the structures and processes that they seem to have in place are much more around recognizing that people are adults and can sort so much of this out for themselves yeah. and supporting them and doing that versus dictating all the rules so that they don't have to be adults. Yeah. Um, so you are now involved in startups. Yes. And in fact, you know, that this show has been a couple months in the making because every time we tried to nail down a date, you were in China or somewhere else. Yeah. Exotic. <laughs> Sorry about that. Startup things. <laughs> and so what, you know, the world of startup always sounds glamorous. It does get glamorized. Mm. What, what is the world of startups uh, really like from your perspective? I mean, what, what's the, the highs and the lows to it? What attracts you to it? What is it that makes it tough to get up somewhere. Um, so someone described it as, um, you know, it's often described and a couple of people describe, you know, being in a business that's high growth, you know, and, and uh, generally speaking, you know, startups as being on the rocket ship, right. You know, they put it in their job ads, you know, we're on the rocket ship, join the rocket ship. <clears throat> and I think that's really an interesting analogy, but uh, because I take it one step further, which is if I was on a rocket ship, if you and I jumped into, you know, Apollo 90 or uh, something or the the new space shuttle and we actually sat in that and we actually shot up into the air to leave the atmosphere, um, you and I would probably think we were going to die at some point in that journey. And it would be probably worse than we thought in terms of, you know, turbulent shaking, you know, G-forces than we've ever prepared for. Um, lots of things would happen that we hadn't prepared for. Um, 
but we would make it through and the adrenaline rush would be like something you'd never get anywhere else. And that's what Startup World is like. Um, so when I talk to people about it, you it, it's over-glamorized um, because of Silicon Valley. And, you know, we hear a lot about startup life from people who have built startups over the years and they're on stage and they're talking about, you know, how they built this company from this to this. And the problem with a lot of those is they post-rationalize it to sound like a fabulous story. And the truth is it's really difficult. It's not so fabulous. They hide the fact that they started their business as one thing and they they changed it three times before they got something that clicked. Um, and it's so div- it's like childbirth. Um, it's like having kids and babies. You know, when they're 15, 16, 19, you forget. You're programmed to forget how difficult it is to have a newborn. Otherwise, you'd never have another one. And it's a bit like that. And I think if you're, if you're, you know, straight out of college and you're living with a couple of mates in a house and you're living cheaply and you're coders and you can put stuff together, um, that's a very different dynamic from people who are coming into a startup who are in a midlife, you know, and they've got other things to think about. They can't, they can't strap it, bootstrap. They've got to find something to deliver. So a startup is a very, it can be very glamorous, but it, it is up and down every day it's two steps forward one step back you are only a matter of months always from armageddon and even if you pull in uh you know you've got to get to serious funding levels um to feel any sort of sense of comfort but even when you do you've then sold your soul kind of you know people are lending you money on a, on the idea that you produce produce the goods and of course when you do get large amounts of money you scale up and you spend it so um nothing lasts forever so it's <clears throat> it is challenging um uh it's raw um uh, you are constantly constantly asking yourself are you doing the right thing um you're fighting a continuous battle with trying to bring your dream to life in the way that you saw it versus the clients who you're trying to sell it to who want to change it into something completely different. Um, it's a daily battle of sort of hoping that you you make someone feel great um, and not disappointed um, from a client point of view. And there's so much going on that you don't have the luxury of extra resources. So you're stretched so thin. Um, and, and in a way that that for me is is isn't a good thing because you really understand what priority means um for a lot of my life you know and a lot of people i know you know we talked about we've got these priorities these priorities and actually what happens in in a lot of organizations i think is and with a lot of people is they have a number of priorities and the point is you can't ever have a number of priorities you have one right and you have to deal with that knock it off the tree, then deal with the next one. If you've got five, six, seven priorities, then nothing is a priority. And the startup world teaches you very quickly that you have to be super focused and execute, even if you don't know you know, what the outcome is going to be, you've got to execute and you've got to deal with your priorities. Sorry. So, so let me jump in yeah. there because um, – uh, so question around that, because, you know, just when you were talking, I mean, you mentioned several different priorities. So one, you know, you've got the the idea that kind of that, you know, your, your baby, the product, the service that you're developing, 
And, you know, that's one super priority, getting that to a, a state where you could sell it, where it would be helpful to people. But you've also got this other priority of going out and getting enough money yeah. to stay afloat until the business can can stay afloat. And then you've got the priority of, which you didn't mention, I don't think, but is in there of just running yeah. the business yeah. part of it, you know, making sure people are getting paid yeah. and, you know, just all the just yeah. management stuff. Um and we could throw in a few more priorities there as well. So while, yes, you can only focus on one priority at a time, and that's super important, how how do those in startups balance out, you know, kind of the, well, I've got five super priorities? Uh, I guess you've got five things to do, right? Um, uh, I would call that. And you just have to daily prioritize which one is the one you're going to focus on. And that's the bit. And, you know, and, and deal with it and act. But what, what happens is, what I see quite often is, um, with all of this stuff that needs doing, it's very overwhelming. And you try and solve, a, you know, try and solve each of them. You try and solve a little bit of each of them. And actually, you can't. You have to say, right, out of those five things, out of those five people that are kicking down my door, which one am I going to let in? Because I, I can only let one in. I can't let more than one. So I've got to let one in. And, you know, they may be so close in terms of priority, but it forces you to think as clearly as possible about what is the most important thing I need to do right now. That's one thing it does. Um, the other things don't go away, but you also have to be sort of ruthless and say, you know, I had a conversation with someone uh, in our business yesterday about product. Um, and and I'm saying, you just got to compartmentalize it and park it because <clears throat> If I, if I, if something takes me three months to build, and somebody's saying to me, "I, you know, we need to deliver something in three weeks," I'm not going to worry about that because we can't, we can't do that. So it's just, you know, we have, and you what you how you get into is, oh, we need to deliver this, and maybe we should do, maybe we should cut this down, and maybe we should do this, and actually, you waste so much time trying to shoehorn something into a hole that doesn't fit. So it's very easy to say, yeah. I could lose sleep over that, but I'm not going to because I've got this thing that I can actually deal with and do. So it's quite difficult. And also, <clears throat> it means that everybody's got to stay what we call in their wheelhouse. So if you're in product and technology, stay in there. If you're so, And we split it down. So if you're a developer, stay in there. If you're a product person, you stay in there at this point in time anyway. We have teams and we have teamwork. But if I'm working on investment, um, and I've got another member of my leadership team, you know, that, that if, whatever they're responsible for, stick in your wheelhouse, just focus on your area. I know you might be interested in stuff and I might, I might be interested in product, right? Cause I, I'm a bit of a product guy. I want to be involved, but actually it's better for me to check in with these people and leave them alone. Right. And not waste my time because every 10 minutes I'm spending talking on product or 20 minutes or half an hour with the guys is half an hour. I'm not spending trying to get our next round of funding. So it just you just have to be so laser focused, I guess, of all of these things that you've got to do. Um, yeah, of course they're all important, but really being forced to decide is one of the toughest things in a startup. But it's also one of the good things because it really it really helps you gain focus. So it sounds like a nightmare being a startup, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's um, those are all the challenging things, and it's always very risk. It's very high risk. So, but the upside is. Um, it's polarizing. So those things, those experiences mean that you, you, people are drawn to it, that are drawn to that kind of environment, number one. It's very binary when it comes to recruitment. 
and if someone comes in and they're not used to that environment and they and they they don't they think they might want to try it out but they're not used to it, you know they they end up leaving very quickly and we don't want that kind of thing so we try and hire uh, properly but it's liberating as a business the best bit about it is that this is a young business and startups are young business it is the perfect opportunity to rewire how we work um, and not grow and scale a business with all of the traditional old ways of doing things it's a it's a blank canvas to experiment with human behavior and delivery and that is what i think attracts to me the risk element of doing something different my natural curiosity but also i have the opportunity here running this particular business to go through and define what our, what do we value as a business and actually you know do we want to have offices um <clears throat> why don't we what our salary information is um be totally transparent on every decision give people unlimited holidays you know what if you want to take time off take time off what you want to work from where do you want to work from you choose right when do you want to work you choose i don't care all i'm worried about is the output i just i'm an output person deliver to your colleagues deliver to the customers and deliver to yourself uh, in terms of your self development and you're doing the right thing for you do those three things the business will t- will, will will thrive and it doesn't matter whether you do that from 12 in uh, 12 during the day in 2 hour blocks and you prefer to work at night or you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you hammer out 3 hours then you want to go out for a walk or run or go and have breakfast with a friend i don't care if you want to do that in san francisco versus doing it in uh, london go and do it that's my approach and this is the thing about startups it gives you that opportunity to repaint that canvas and prove that those things didn't matter Gareth, you mentioned, um, I, I see a couple, I don't know if they're contradictory things happening here. So one, yes, there's a, this wide open kind of blank sheet of paper to design the organization the way the way you think it should be, not just the way we've traditionally done it, you know, this chance to break away and what like Ricardo Simler and, and others have been doing and experimenting with and great power in that. But on the flip side of that, you also mentioned, but you have to go out and get money from people who... I'm guessing probably prefer to hear, yes, we're sticking with tried and true that we know has worked versus, yeah, it's kind of up in the air right now. We're, we're you know, we're, we, we like to experiment and tweak it a little bit, but could we have some cash? Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, and, you know, and I think um, the, there's a, when you go and raise money, um, I was reading something about it last night from a company called Buffer um, and they are a fascinating company. And I, recommend anybody looking them up because they fit right into that uh, uh, remit that I've just talked about. And they talk about something I talk about with a lot of the startups that, you know, I advise um, from time to time, which is when you're raising money, you need money, but you need to raise the right money. It's so important. It's as, it's as important as recruiting, right? If we're going to, you need a set of investors that match your values. And it's tough because you need money, but that's why you should be looking for money all the time, um, potentially. Um, and you need a values match, ideally, with the company that's going to invest. Because if you don't have a values match, um, then it will be toxic and it won't it won't deliver. And I think the way so the way we're doing it right now, yet yeah, we've got an office because that's how we started. The founder started with a small office. In fact, we've got two 
two places we can sit, one in East London, one in West London. And we started out that and last year, most of last year was most people coming to the office and stuff. And, you know, there's only a small team, there's only 10 of us. Um, but when we, we had a sort of a bit of a shift last year um, and that, that sort of, I guess, coincided with me having a, you know, having the CEO remit. Um, and when we're talking to clients, uh, to potential investors, we're talking about the team, we're talking about the kind of business we are, but the vast majority of that conversation is around, you know, what are your metrics, what are you trying to do, what market you're in, how you're going to grow and stuff like that. Um, interestingly enough, you don't get a huge conversation about, you know, how do you run that business? Are you remote or not or anything like that? So at the moment, we're kind of, we're on a journey towards it. So we've, we introduced just before Christmas, um, I introduced uh, unlimited holidays. So we no longer have to, you know, people not limited to 22 days, whatever it was, they can take as many days as they like a year, as long as we record it. So we know that we can, we can resource plan. I'm fine with that. And also um, people can choose to work the hours that they want um, and they can choose to work from where they want. Those were two things that I could do that didn't cost us a huge amount of money, um, would have quite a decent impact and would be in a, an early experiment. Um, and I want to change those things, see how they work and change those things over time. But, you know, as we get towards the end of this year and we're looking for office space, potentially, I'm going to table the notion that we don't get an office, that we grow remotely. And therefore, we can then go and hire anyone, you know, opens our talent pool, etc. So it's a bit of a journey. Um, I don't go in the in the meeting room with an investor and kind of go, hey, look, you know, we'd like you to invest in this business. And let me tell you about our <laughs> way of working first. Um, just, you know, selfishly, I'm not doing it because I don't want to limit the opportunity at the moment. But when it comes down to it, they have to understand that it's a journey we're on. And we're going to be very public about it. And I think um, that is really important for the people in the company to be authentic and, you know, to, to have that choice. Um, Buffer are very, very public about uh, everything they do, the total transparency they have. Um, so I've had this kind of question around these things where, you know, they're, they're novel, um, maybe innovative and different from how we're used to typically working. And as I look at the companies that seem to be doing that well, it, it always seems like it, it's not just the one thing. Like you can't just copy the one thing, but there's five other things that support that one thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, so it's easy to say this idea won't work here. Well, well, no, it mm. won't. No, <laughs> because it, it takes these other three ideas to support that idea. Yeah. Totally. Um. And I know I'm speaking very vaguely. But no, 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 I get it. I get it. And I think that's the, the thing about these approaches are they're fundamentals. How they ma- the, the, the things like, you know, um, flexi working, flexible hours, um, you know, unlimited holidays or, or, or limited holidays or, you know, a structured working environment versus an unstructured working environment, um, freedom to plan your own time in your day to, you know, having to work from nine till five, all of those things, actually, we look at those as, you know, things in themselves, you know, we talk about flexible working, and we say, we're going to implement flexible working, but they're outcomes. That's all they are. They're just the manifestation of the, you know, the value set of the organization and what the organization ultimately believes in. All of this stuff is just manifestation 
and where it doesn't work. And it's particularly difficult for large organizations because they're established, they're big, and they've built themselves on a set of values or principles that have been laid down by, you know, three, four, five generations of CEOs, you know, potentially following a similar sort of path. And to take, and they will have their own manifestation. So if you take a traditional business to, to, you know, put flexible working in is literally just messing with the veneer. You're not changing the core and uh, you're not changing the values. So often you put flexible working in and actually the company at the very, very top doesn't believe it, but they're doing it because they feel they have to. And those, that's the difficulty. You can't, you need to, you know, when you're doing organizational change and transformation, in my view, and you want to look at those things, you've got to go back to a deep value set. Because once you've got that value set, it's then that then, you know, these things manifest themselves from those, from that. So it's very difficult, I think, um, when you've got large organizations, um, because large companies have either recruited against, you know, quite well against a set of values. So therefore, they do have a strong value set of a certain type. Um, and that won't be broken. Or you've got organizations that didn't recruit against that, and they've just got people of conflicting values. So you'll never get something consistent. So I think it's really difficult. I think it's really, but it can be done, you know, and, and this is the, the argument that I get into all the time. It can't be done. Yes, it can, because look at Semco. And, you know, when I mention Semco these days, you know, there are some people on social media that ridicule me for it um, because, you know, it's it is one of the few examples that you can really point to where you're taking a traditional business it was a manufacturing business in brazil um that had an environment of um corruption um government and um gang type corruption organized crime and an interest rate of 1500% a year and, and I think they were also using, unionized, weren't they? They were heavily unionized, absolutely, completely heavily unionized. And they took that business and completely changed it. And since doing that, they've become the fastest, most successful growing company in Brazil. And I keep coming back to that. And I saw that. And I saw that in my company. I was in the manufacturing business because we had a very progressive manufacturing director who was taking us away from, you know, and he was engaging with the unions instead of combating them. And we were moving to a more flexible environment and higher quality and more, you know, all these new manufacturing techniques. I knew I could see the kernels of it, but here's a guy who'd done it. And so it is possible. And what, but what it takes is to give away um the control you've got to be comfortable you've got it's autonomy you've got to be comfortable with saying to people okay guys how do you want to run this you're in control you run product how do you want to run it what do you want to do what do you want to do what do you need to be to feel comfortable you know for me i never see my job i used to as you know, leading, managing, I just saw that as you know, climb up the career ladder. My span of control, call it span of control. That's how I was brought up. That's what I saw. No, now a decision could be made at a certain level without my authority, you know. And if and if a decision was made without my authority, I'd get upset about it. I felt my ju- I had to justify, you know, my reason for being, my validation in life was this, you know, the 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 person that people look to for a core decision and the answers and the control. Um, and managing people, you know, and performance management. And it was, I just realized it was total rubbish. 
It's not that. You know, my job as a CEO is to get shit out of the way. It's to say, what's getting in your way, Brock? How are you getting on today? Okay, so you've got a blocker. No problem. I'll take care of that for you. Boom. There you go. Off you go. By the way, you need some decisions to make. You make them yourself. And then we'll just check in every month. And if it's a disaster, don't worry about it. We'll learn from it. <clears throat> so it becomes, you, you, but that's a massive mind shift. It's huge. Um, and, and that's why I think people can't do it. It can be done. It's the people who make it happen. Well, and on that note, I think we're going to wrap up right here. Um <laughs> Because this conversation could go on for a long time because it's sure fascinating about the subject. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> um, and it's highly debatable and, you know, there's so much in it and there's so many conflicting uh, views on it. But, yeah, it's uh, it's a, a one for another day. Next time we actually get together, we should in, we should grow that conversation a bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so this, this has been fantastic, Gareth. I mean, very, very wide-ranging but really focused around – the, the startup piece and thinking about work differently. And, uh, you know, I lo- love talking about both of those. So uh, two questions I, I always wrap up with. One is where can people find you? And the second one is what would your ask of the listeners be? How can they help you out? Okay. Interesting question. So you can find me on, um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn forward slash in forward slash Gareth M. Jones. That's easy. Um, and do reach out to me. Um, I'm on Twitter um, at Garelaos, which is G-A-R-E-L-A-O-S. Um, uh, infrequently on Twitter these days. but um, And I've got a blog, which is GarethJones.me, um, if you want to look at that. And again, infrequent blogger these days. I'm so busy, it seems. Um, and what can other listeners do for me? Um, I would say um, embrace embrace the um madness of uh the new world of working you know we need more people on the ground saying i want to change i want to change the status quo i want to you know fulfill my own destiny i want autonomy i you know demand those things you know if it's not if you're not in the zone if you're in a business and you feel that this stuff isn't working and it seems a bit pointless get up and say it Get out there, take the risk, go and do it and challenge it because it's only going to change if we get more and more people saying this doesn't make sense. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Gareth. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Speak to you soon. Just a little, just a little